Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> uh, my name is Bill McCracken, for those that might not know me. I've been around for a while. Not, I won't tell you how many years, but you can guess by the gray, it's been a number. Uh, I'm probably not the oldest, but I'm in the upper echelon. Let's put it that way. And we're glad that you're here with us today to worship. This, if this is your first time, welcome here. If this is, well, we hope it's not your last time. Uh, but we're glad that each of you are here with us to worship today. Today's the first week of Advent. <clears throat> you can see the candle behind us. There are four with one in the center. That's for the four Sundays before Christmas. Four candles and four ways to say, Welcome to our world, little baby Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The word Advent comes from a Latin word, Adventus, which means the coming, and that's what we're anticipating. Did you realize, I want to share something with you, did you realize that 27 days from today is Christmas Eve? You better get ready. To me, it's the most magical day of the year. I always like Christmas Eve better than Christmas Day, believe it or not, <clears throat> because it's anticipation. No, and that's not the Carly Simon song. It's a year's worth of waiting. It's like the birth of a child when you don't know whether it's going to be a boy or a girl. And it's hope, which is today's Advent word. And this time of the year, if we were to open this up, most of us would have some type of Christmas story that we, could, that we remember, either from our childhood or from our being an adult. And I'm reminded of my worst and my best Christmas memory. It was one and the same. It was 1979. The church that I was preaching for had just had a very contentious congregational meeting with some ugly things being said. And that's probably why to this day I'm not a fan of congregational meetings. I was given a Christmas check by the church, which in my immaturity I refused. Instead, I asked the church treasurer to give the check to Roanoke Bible College, which is now uh, Mid-Atlantic Christian University, my alma mater. A few days later, we hosted at our house a church tradition of going caroling in the neighborhood. And then we met back at our house for hot chocolate, for cookies, and devotions. Our house was decorated, the tree was up, and presents were under the tree. And as we sat around the den area in, in chairs, kind of in a circle, one of the men from the church, we were talking and laughing and carrying on having a good time. One of the men from the church, Charles McKeever, who was sitting right next to the Christmas tree, reached under the tree and got one of the presents and started passing it down the line. Of course, everybody laughed and I laughed about it, thought it was just a funny joke. Well, then he reached down and got another present and started passing it. And another and another until... He had taken all the presents from under the tree and passed them around, and they ended up 
with my family and I. And Charles then stood up and he said, these are your Christmas gifts. We took up another donation from those that wanted to give, and we bought you, with the same amount of money, these gifts. Wow. Here's the definition of hope from Hebrews chapter 11. And if you've got your Bibles or if you've got the Bible app in your phone and you'll follow along, we won't have them up on the screen today, so I ask that you follow along. And if you don't have, then I'll, I'll read. We're going to look at some scriptures today. <clears throat> and what a definition of hope that we have from the Scriptures. Hebrews 11, verse 1, I'm going to read it in the New International Version translation and also out of the Living Bible, uh, so you'll see the sense of this verse. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And the Living Bible says it like this, what is faith? It's the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. It's the certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us, even though we cannot see it up ahead. Hope is defined by faith, and faith is defined by hope. We're going to look at two aspects of hope today. We're going to look backwards to see what a captive nation, Israel, and in turn, a lost world hoped for in His coming. And then we're going to look forward to the Christ child's return as a victorious, living, and reigning King. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to this hour, <clears throat> considering Your Scriptures, considering the life of Your Son as He came here to this world, considering that He's gone to be with you until He returns again victorious. We'd ask as we focus this time of year on His first coming, that You'd help us today, that You'd pierce our hearts, Father, with Your Word, with Your hope, with Your assurance, and that, Father, we might fall on our knees, both figurative and literally, as we worship and adore you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first question that I really need to ask you is, <clears throat> what is hope and why is that important for us? <clears throat> We're going to look at a, a remarkable scripture because on face value, it's really kind of weird. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and most of that verse is really Paul's definition of what the gospel is, as he defines it. <clears throat> I want you to look at verse 19 out of that 15th chapter, and we're going to look at some other verses out of this chapter also as we go on. But read with me verse 19 out of 1 Corinthians 15. If only for this life we have hope in Christ... We are of all people most to be pitied. Isn't that a remarkable verse on its face value if we had just that verse alone? But you have to remember context, which we'll get to 
in just a moment. But let me illustrate this verse for you by a story from my past. Uh, For the last 15 years that I was a police officer with Richmond, I was a negotiator. And we would get called out along with the SWAT team many times when there was something serious, uh, either uh, an armed person or a hostage situation or someone who was suicidal. And we received a call one afternoon in the north side of Richmond of a man who was suicidal. His son had called us asking that we check on the welfare of his father. Uh, He was inside the house. He would not answer his phone. And there were several guns in the house. Therefore, the officers would not go in until uh, everything was secured. I was tasked with calling his cell phone. I called it and called it and called it and called it. For about 20 minutes, that's all I did was just dial his number uh, try to leave a message, and then redial it again. And all of a sudden, he answered. Well, I, I told him who I was and why I was calling, and I asked him if he was okay and where was he in the house. Well, he said that he was on the second floor and that he was all right. Well, I told him that his son was outside and there were some police officers, and we were very concerned for his welfare. I asked him if he could come outside, and he said, well, sure I can. I said, well, great. I immediately gave him some instructions. I want you to come out the front door. I want you to have your hands up with your palms forward so the officers will know that you're not armed. I said, can you do that? And he said, yes. I noticed I could hear this rustling in the background. And After a period of time where he'd had plenty of time to come downstairs and to come outside, I said, well, where are you now? He said, well, I'm in bed. I thought that kind of strange because he said he was upstairs. And I said, well, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm I'm putting my clothes on. I thought, well, that's kind of reasonable if you're not dressed, but you're in bed. And I, I asked him, I said, well, are you going to come outside? And he said, yes, I am. After about another 10 to 15 seconds, the phone went dead. Well, I again began to call, but I never did get him to answer me again. Forty-five minutes later, the SWAT team made entry into the house, and they found him in his bed, deceased. He had taken his life. And here's what his life had been like in the six months prior to his death. His business had gone bankrupt. His wife had divorced him. Just the week before, he had received news from his doctor that his cancer was terminal. And just that morning, he had found a note that his daughter, who had been living with him, had left, saying that she had moved out and she was living now with with her mother. Two words to describe his condition, helpless and hopeless. And this is what can happen when we place the cares of this life alone in our heart and our mind. And given the shallowness and the lack of spiritual thought of many uh, in our country and the world today, what are some of the worst things that can happen to us? 
Well, here's, here's my list. You know, a key fantasy football player on my team got hurt. My team lost on Monday night football. You might not have gotten that wanted electronics on Black Friday, and somebody took the parking space you were getting ready to pull into. You lost your cell phone, or worse yet, your cell phone crashed and you lost all of your contacts. Someone backs into your brand new automobile in the parking lot and leaves without leaving a note to explain who they were. You or a loved one is diagnosed with a terrible disease and there are some bad ones. You go into eternity to meet God face to face without the one who overcame the world standing next to you. And we could go on and on and on, couldn't we, about things that have happened to us and things that we consider to be bad things in life. But remember, the context with this verse 19, the context is the resurrection. Let's read on, starting with verse number 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. We work so hard for stuff, don't we? We strive for the utmost in pleasure, and the God of the trivial seems so commonplace. Look again up at verse 19 where it says, If only in this life you have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. You know, when we place all of our hopes and dreams in this life alone, we're in for disappointment and heartbreak. So, let's, let's look at two things here this morning in regards to hope. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to look backward in history as the nation of God hoped for a promised Messiah. You know, we sang a song at Christmas time, and I had never heard this song. It was a brand new song for me, though it's quite old. Uh, I, I heard it when I first left Pennsylvania and came south to go to college in uh, North Carolina. It's the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I had never heard it before. Listen to the words. I'm not going to sing. Okay. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. And here are the two hopes that we as Christians have. Today we look back to the hope that Israel had concerning Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, that would break the earthly bondage that had plagued this nation from time to time. Remember, they had been taken off in captivity to Babylon for 70 years. The best and the brightest of that nation. And then after Babylon, Assyria was their captors. After that, the Medo-Persians. And then Greece, and during Jesus' day, as he walked the streets uh, and, and the, the hills, it was Rome. 
Can you imagine if we walked outside and we saw Russian soldiers with their guns outside? That's what they faced every day during Jesus' day. I want you to look with me to Isaiah chapter 7, a scripture that's frequently used at Christmas time because of the, of the promise and it's, it's a messianic prophecy that was fulfilled with Jesus. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, <clears throat> this was actually a promise that was given to the king uh, during this time, during Isaiah's uh, stint as a prophet. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call Him Emmanuel. That word, that name, Emmanuel, is only used three times in Scripture. It's used twice uh, in the book of Isaiah, here in the seventh chapter, and again in the eighth chapter. But it's also used in the book of Matthew. If you look there to verse, uh, chapter 1, verse number 23, it really copies this prophecy from Isaiah. It says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, you might wonder why Jesus in the New Testament is never referred to as Emmanuel. What's he referred to as? He's, he's referred to as Jesus, isn't he? Uh, in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, we won't look there unless you, want, you can turn there, but we're not going to read that verse. But the angel who revealed to Mary that she would bear God's Son tells her to call His name Jesus. And that's what he was called. All, all during his lifetime, he was referred to as Jesus. And you may not know, but the word Jesus, which is the English word, the Greek word for Jesus was actually the Hebrew word for Joshua, which means the Lord saves. And if you go back and look at that verse again, it tells us, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The Lord saves. Jesus, Joshua. Emmanuel, literally, God with us, describes not his name, but his person, his presence, his being, his personality when he came into this world as a tiny squalling baby. And remember, the miracle wasn't His birth. You know, some people say, the miracle of the birth of Jesus. No, 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 no. The birth was not the miracle. The conception was the miracle. He was really born like all other babies were born that day, uh, except for being born in a manger and laid in a manger. It was just a normal birth. It was the conception. There was no human father. Today, we look back to the birth story of Mary's boy. You know, there's a wonderful song. It was written by Mark Lowry. We hear it uh, this time of year. Several groups sing it. I think there's a, there's a video up. Uh, the group uh, Pentatonics 
sings it, a, a beautiful version of Mary, Did You Know? And now I'm going to recite it for you rather than sing it. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm the storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kissed your little baby, you kissed the face of God. Mary, did you know the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again, the lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Lamb? Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. You know, we look back to the wonderful story that never grows old about the young couple, Mary and Joseph, targets of gossip because the real story was truly not of this world. Joseph took his wife, very soon to be a mother, on an incredible journey of a lifetime that would take them to the small town of Bethlehem, 50 miles south of their home, and then to the large metropolis of Jerusalem, and then two to 300 miles to the foreign country of Egypt before then settling back in Nazareth of Galilee. And all of it before Jesus even approached the age of 12, and it was done entirely on foot. You know, we look back to the hope of a nation and really the world with awe and thankfulness that God truly did come to this world, not just to visit, but to live as a man among men, thus fulfilling the hope of, of an oppressed but blessed nation with God with us. And so not only do we need to look backward to that time of his birth, but we need to look forward to a redeemed people who hope for a returning king. Check out these scriptures. We're going to look at three here quickly. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 11. You know, for three and a half years, Jesus had an intimate group of twelve. that were daily together while he taught them of things that were and things that were to come. And then there were there was that day, the worst of days in their life, when he was taken and tried and beaten and killed. And for three days they mourned his loss until... He was resurrected by the power of God, and then he spent a number of days with them before his ascension. 
and they've gathered out on the hillside, and as he's talking with them, he ascends up to heaven, is taken from them. And much like we would do, they're standing there looking up. And two angels spoke to them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will, will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. And that's a promise. Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 22. This is kind of a difficult passage. Uh, it talks about groanings within and without. The creation, kind of like being in childbirth, even up to the present. But it also talks about hope. Look at verse 22, Romans 8, 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Remember going back to uh, what's described in Hebrews chapter 11. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. And the only way I can liken this is, for the most part, we enjoy living here, don't we? That's not the hope that we have. We have the hope of something, something better and if you read through Hebrews, it talks all the way through Hebrews about there's something better in store for us. And then let's go for 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. 1 Peter 3, 8. <clears throat> and in a sense, what's Pe what Peter is saying here is that we have a mission without really saying it in those words. We have a mission until He returns. And this is some great... I, I didn't write down a word for this, but this is a, a, a great philosophy of life to have in what Peter's writing to us here. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. And boy, don't we, don't we tend to do that? Somebody insults us, we insult them back. Somebody drives, and I'm guilty of this. My, my wife constantly tells me, even though I've been retired for a year and a half, you're not in your police car, slow down. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to you, you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good and they must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to his prayer, to their prayer. <clears throat> Aren't you glad 
that He still knows and cares and listens, not only sees what we do, but listens to our prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13, who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Now, here's the key verse to me, not only in this short passage and not only in the book of Peter, but in the entire New Testament. This is our mission right here. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And I found throughout my Christian walk that the times I'm able to really put into words what I believe and what I believe the Scriptures to stand for is when I talk with somebody else about my faith. I had an opportunity to do this last Saturday. I'd been working out in the yard, getting Christmas decorations down, and the weather was uh, really nice weather. And I noticed there was a group walking around our neighborhood. And I said, they're going to eventually come to our house. And I was upstairs doing something, and the doorbell rang, and I went down, and here was a a middle-aged couple And I went outside, and they introduced themselves, and I introduced myself. And he asked me a question. And the question was, what's the guiding principle of your life? Well, I was able to immediately tell him, I knew who these people were. They were Jehovah's Witnesses. You ever had them come to your door? Uh, You know, I commend them for walking and talking about their faith. So I immediately said, Yes, I do have a guiding faith. It's Jesus Christ, God's Son, uh, who's my Savior and who died for my sins. Well, they commended me for that, and then they said, well, yes, and Jesus created the world, our world, and all that's in it, and I agreed with them. And they then insisted that Jesus was God's first creation. And I said, no, he didn't. And no, he wasn't. They said, oh, yeah, it does say that in, your, in the Bible. They said, do you have a Bible? And I said, yes, I do. They said, could, could you go get it? Now, we're standing out on the front porch, front steps. <clears throat> so I went and got my Bible. And when I come back, they said, turn to Colossians chapter 1. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. And this was the verse that they were pointing out, where they said it shows that Jesus was God's first creation. And here's what it says in verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. And notice that word image, where do we hear that word in another place in the Scripture? God made man in His own image, Genesis chapter 1. 
So the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. They said, see, God's first creation was Jesus. I said, no, firstborn. We're getting ready to celebrate His birth. It's when He came to this world. It's what Emmanuel means, God with us. They said, well, can we read the the other verses there? And So the other verses say, for in Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. I told them the Scriptures never say Jesus was created. Firstborn refers to His birth as a baby in Nazareth, and that He was also part of the Godhead with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and with all three being equal, I told them I refer to it as the Godhead because the word Trinity is not in the Scripture. Now, does that mean that I don't believe in that concept? Oh, I do believe in the concept. I just like to use the word Godhead. Well, needless to say, uh, they didn't stay much longer. You know, the main difference between what the Bible teaches and I as a Christian believe and what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach is about who Jesus really is. They believe He was God's first creation. That makes the Scripture a lie that says, for in Him all things were created. You have to say, but Himself. That's a contradiction. They believe He was God's first creation. I believe He coexisted with God and created our worlds, as stated in Genesis 1 and Colossians 1. And by the way, I also did it as the Scriptures teach in 1 Peter 3.15, with gentleness and respect, because Danette asked me when I came inside and told her what had just happened outside, she said, were you nice to them? I confess I've not always been nice, but I was. And we parted, uh, hopefully, they'll read God's Word and this Holy Spirit will convict them. But this is my hope, that one day He'll return as He left this earth to draw all who love and revere Him to be a part of that new heaven and new earth talked about in Revelation 21. And those who have already died, thousands and thousands will be raised incorruptible with those who are still alive to see Him who came as a babe and lived as a man, died as a king, was raised from the dead to ascend to rule with the Father until He returns triumphant to a world marred and stained with sin and Satan's curse. So today, let us look back to the babe in a manger and look forward to the hope in hope to a risen, reigning ruler of all creation, Jesus the Christ, God's beloved Son, 
who pleased his Father. We pray with me. Father, we're thankful that we have gathered here today worshiping you and your Son, Jesus Christ, who've given the very best gift that he had to give, and that was his Son. Father, thank you for the season that's before us, that in all the hustle and bustle of doing the things that we need to do at home and in our community and in our church life, that we'll never forget the miracle that you gave in your son's conception and coming to this world and the awe that the shepherds had, and that the wise men had, and even those that were in the enemies of Jesus as an adult when they listened to him speak. Father, much like he did when he looked out over Jerusalem, and he shed tears wanting to bring home those that lived there but were rejecting him. Help us, Father, not to reject him today, but to praise and to worship Emmanuel, God with us, for it's in the name of our Savior that we pray, amen.